Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Language is a key to culture and a building block for Native sovereignty. Language revitalization efforts are surging and Native people are lining up to connect with this key element of identity. And as tribes also work to expand their written language connections, they're finding a need to include all members of their tribes. And that includes those with visual impairments. Today we'll learn about what it takes to merge Native languages in Braille. It's a fascinating process and we hope you'll stick around to hear more about it right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Montana Supreme Court has found that the Bureau of Indian Affairs could be held liable for a sexual assault committed by one of its officers on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. Aaron Bolton has more. According to court documents, in 2015, BIA officer Dana Bullcoming threatened to jail a woman for violating local alcohol laws at her home and used that threat to pressure her for sex. Bullcoming was later convicted for the sexual assault, but the woman, known only as LB, later filed a civil suit for damages. The judge in that case did award some damages, but found that the BIA can't be held liable, as the assault was outside of Bullcoming's official duties. Both federal district and appeals courts agreed, but the case was then passed to the Montana State Supreme Court last year. Montana's highest court found that Bullcoming used his official capacity to coerce someone into sex and that the BIA can be held liable. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. A Native woman won the Democratic nomination in Wyoming's primary last week for the U.S. House and will face Republican Harriet Hageman after Congresswoman Liz Cheney lost her seat. Wyoming Public Radio's Taylor Stagner reports. Lynette Grable won the Democratic Party's nomination for Wyoming's U.S. House seat. Grable won the nomination in 2020 against Cheney as well. She says she's ready to fight for that seat again. It's definitely a David and Goliath type of campaign. Grable is Northern Arapaho and resides on the Wind River Reservation. She wants to use her platform to shed light on the importance of renewable energy and social issues. I want to gear my campaign towards values, family values, values that concern humanity, values that concern the marginalized communities, such as the indigenous community and the LGBTQ two-spirit community. Grable says it's important to her to give voters in Wyoming a choice and that Hageman is spreading misinformation about former President Donald Trump winning the 2020 election. The two will go against each other in November. For National Native News, I'm Taylor Stagner. The Canadian government has agreed to release Catholic entities from their pledge to raise $25 million for residential school survivors. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, Indigenous leaders and some legal experts are questioning the decision. The deal was made in 2015 but was not widely publicized. It meant Ottawa, under the previous Conservative government, agreed to forever discharge 48 Catholic Church entities from paying the $25 million in compensation to residential school survivors, a commitment that was made in 2006. It also agreed to pick up their legal bill. The Catholic Church raised only $4 million and is off the hook for the remainder. At least one Indigenous leader says the request to discharge the pledge came from the Catholic Church after it said it couldn't raise the money. 
Percy Lazard is with the Indigenous Studies Program at Wilfrid Laurier University. It undermines this, the, the, the labor of 6,000 um, folks who were brave enough under the conditions of colonialism to come forward and share their experiences in the 126 years of Indian residential schools. Indigenous leaders have questioned why the Canadian government gave up its appeal of a court decision in which Catholic entities were let off the hook for paying their remaining financial obligations under the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller had said he would find out why the government abandoned its appeal. But some Native leaders say it's unlikely that Ottawa can compel the Catholic entities to meet their financial obligations. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation. Supporting Native-led initiatives protecting lands, waters, and cultures by building networks, community, and organizational capacity. Proposals accepted through September 1st at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We all know language is a key component of Native identity and culture. However, visually impaired tribal members face challenges when learning their language on the written page. Currently, there are efforts to address this by adapting Native languages into Braille code. You're probably familiar with Braille, those little embossed dots on paper that allow a visually impaired person to read date back nearly 200 years. Today, it's also a way to make some native languages more accessible to those connecting with their identity and culture. It's not an easy task by any stretch. The process is enough to stump even the most proficient Braille readers. Today, we'll talk about how Braille can engage native language learners, and we also want to hear from you. Are you or someone you know visually impaired and learning Braille? Is your tribe working on a Braille code for your language? Or have you ever just been curious about how Braille works? Please join today's conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. You can also post a comment on our social media pages. Our handle is 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's learn more about Braille and its use with native languages from Carol Green. She's on the line in Provo, Utah, where she is a teacher of students with visual impairments at Utah Schools for the Deaf and Blind. She is Dene. Carol, thanks for joining the show. Um, yeah, thank you. Um... I'll just introduce um, myself quickly in Navajo. Sheya Carol Bigay Green Yunishia Irish Nishle or Adlini Bashishin Shecheya Beish Pichahi Ado Pitahni Tachinale. Look at Chigai de Navan and Shinale Do Shija. My name is Carol Bigay Green. Um, I'm Irish. My father. Um, I'm born for the Waters Flowing Together clan. Um, my mother's um, 
father was German and my grand my grand my father's father was um Bitasni. And my my family comes from Lukachukai, Arizona. Um sure. so go ahead. Oh no! I just I just want to thank you so much for that further introduction and uh, and and let's learn more about your background. About four years ago, you created a Navajo Braille code. That's just astounding. What was your motivation? So um, I attended a conference in 2013. It's called the Getting in Touch with Literacy Conference, um, and it's held um, every odd year at different parts of the country. And I met some leaders in the Braille community. Um, the Braille Authority of North America um, kind of um, monitors or regulates um, how we use English Braille um, in North America. And then um, the Library of Congress representative was there as well. And I asked each of the leaders of those organizations if they knew of a Navajo Braille code. And they said they didn't know. Um, and so I, I'd been a teacher of students with visual impairments at that time for three years. Um, I'm currently, I've been in the field now um, 12 years. But um, anyway, I, I've always been trying to learn Navajo. Navajo is a difficult language to learn. Um, I'm not proficient. Um, you know, I've, I've been trying to learn it all my life, but um, when I was learning Navajo in college at Northern Arizona University, um, it was way easier for me to read it. Um, and that's mostly because I'm not a native speaker. Um, actually, for native speakers, it's the opposite. They kind of have trouble reading it because they're so used to just speaking the words. But I was kind of frustrated. My vision was getting worse. And I was like, well, how am I going to continue to read Navajo or learn Navajo if I can't? have Braille, um, and one of my friends said, well, why don't you just do something about it? So I said, okay. <laughs> so I contacted um, the former president of BANA, um, Francis Mary DeAndrea, and she um, gave me the number of a gentleman at Rice University in Houston, Texas. And he also is a Braille user. Um, he's a professor of linguistics. His name is Robert Engelbertson. Um, and he and I consulted over some possibilities of how we could um, make uh, Navajo Braille a little less, um, I guess you could say, a, a little more streamlined so that it's easier to read. Um, there is a system of, of doing um, different languages in Braille, but it often requires like having two different symbols before every letter that you're going to change. Um, to indicate what kind of symbol you're putting above or below the letter. And so that's rather cumbersome. So um, he and I consulted over um, how we could develop a code. And um, we came up with some really good ideas and um, to make it more streamlined. So um, did you want me to talk more about the details of that? I do, Carol, but first, I just want to get some facts straight. So you began losing your sight while you were in college. And um, while was this an ongoing process? So like, while because at this point now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're you're about legally blind. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, um, I was technically legally blind all of my life, but I could see pretty well through high school and the first part of college. Um, 
but through my teaching career, um, I used to teach um, on the Navajo Nation. I taught in Red Mesa, Arizona. I also taught in, at Natanines in Shiprock, New Mexico, um, as an elementary teacher for 15 years. And um, but my vision started started to gradually get de- decline. You know, I couldn't just re- re- rely on magnification anymore. Um, and I started having to use a cane. I did get a guide dog. And um, the good thing was that I went into the field. I switched my teaching career into teaching the visually impaired. And in doing so, I learned Braille and um, and then began teaching Braille. So um, that kind of was a good progression for me. Um, I'm, I'm now proficient in Braille. Um, I even have the national um, certification for um, unified English Braille. So, um, yeah, so it's been a gradual process for me actually over my lifetime, but now I'm pretty much light perception only really. <laughs> Even then uh-huh. sometimes I'm not that good. I don't, sometimes I don't know if the lights are off or on. So. <laughs> well, Carol, you have a, a really, really fascinating story and you're proficient in American Braille. So maybe just give us a little bit more background on how the Navajo Braille code that you developed is different from the traditional American or English Braille that I think we're, we're more familiar with. Okay, so um, so just to familiarize everybody, so Braille consists of six dots, similar to what you might see on the six dots of a of, of a dice. Um, so there's three dots on the left, and each dot has a name. So the three dots on the left are called one, two, three with one being on the upper left corner. And then we have um, three dots on the right, which are four, five, six, and four is on the upper right corner. And um, so when Dr. Engelbertson and I were consulting over developing the code, he said, well, you know, um, Navajo is a, a Southwestern language and so is Spanish. And we already have um, American Spanish Braille and the accented vowels that we have in Spanish look identical to the high tone vowels that are used in Navajo. So what if we just use the same identical um, dot configurations for those? And I thought that was a great idea. So um, the A, E, I, and O in Navajo is identical to the A, E, I, and O um, in American Spanish Braille. And then um, Navajo, actually has also um, nasalized tones of vowels when you kind of put the um, the tone in your nose. So like a good example is horse. So horse in Navajo is clean. So you kind of put the nasal tone into your nose, it's called a nasal tone. And under each of the nasal toned vowels, there's a hook. And I know it has a, a linguistic name, but I don't know what it is right now. But um, anyway, so it has a hook mark marking underneath it. So um, in Braille, we have lots of indicators. So what that means is when, when a person reads Braille, um, they're really reading just one line, one cell of Braille at a time from left to right underneath their fingers. And um, so as you're reading, Sometimes we put an indicator, and what that means is as your finger is moving across the page, you read an indicator, and what that's telling you is 
the next thing you're going to read is going to be different than regular letters or regular things you might think. So an example for that would be a number, a numeric indicator. Um, so on all the placard signs you see in hotels and different buildings, you know, there's Braille with those numbers. Well, the very first symbol is called a numeric indicator. And what that tells the Braille reader is what's after this are numbers, not letters. Mm. Um, so we try to do the same thing with Navajo. So instead of having totally different um, dot configurations for the nasal vowels, we decided we'll just put a nasal indicator in front of each um, nasalized tone. So for the regular A, E, I, and O, that's a low tone vowel, if we just use the same um, letters as in regular American um, Unified English Braille, A, E, I, and O. But if it's nasal, nasal tone, we put a dot four and six in front of it. And then we do the same for the accented or high tone A, E, I, and O. Um, Carol, we're, we're going to have to take a break here. I'm sorry, Carol, in just a few more moments. But uh, this is really, really intriguing that you were able to do this. And I, I you know, I obviously I don't speak Navajo. I'm not Navajo. But I, from somebody who's been around a lot of Navajo people and I've heard the Navajo language spoken a lot, it seems like such a challenging language to speak and learn, and, and, and some of the, the pronunciations seem so challenging. So the fact that you were able to, to use these indicators and these other techniques to, to transcribe Braille into Navajo just makes it that much more astounding. Folks, we're speaking with Carol Green. She's on the lineup in Provo, Utah. She is a teacher at the Utah Schools for the Deaf and Blind. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Millions of dollars are headed to tribes to offset and prevent the effects of climate change. It's all part of the recent federal legislation designed to counteract inflation. We'll learn what the proposed climate programs are and why some are critical of the effort. That's on the next Native America Calling. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Adapting native languages into Braille code for those that are visually impaired. It is a promising endeavor that we'll talk more about, but before we dive back into the conversation, we'd like to thank everyone who watched and commented on last week's live stream shows from the Santa Fe Indian Market. We had a great time, and we sure do appreciate your feedback. Please join today's conversation about native languages and Braille by calling 1-800-996-2848 that's 1-800-996-2848, or leave a comment on our social media pages. Our handle, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Carol Green is on the line. She's up in Provo, Utah, and about four years ago, she developed uh, a Navajo version of the Braille Code. 
Carol, you were talking with us a little bit about how Navajo Braille is different from the traditional American Braille and some of the adjustments you had to make. And I also want to ask you, what types of information are you currently transcribing with Navajo Braille? So um, I created um, some Braille documents for um, some basic things like um, colors and numbers, um, household items. Um, I, I have a set of um, kinship terms that I made into like playing cards similar to old maid. But instead of being stuck with the old maid, you get stuck with the old sheep herder. <laughs> so <laughs> um, anyway, but um, yeah, so um, they're actually really cute. Um, they're little cards that I've made um, that I've shared with others. So um, there was somebody that contacted me from, I think, the Arizona Center for the Blind that was transcribing something um, into uh, Navajo Braille. Um, um, so, so those are some of the projects I've done, but mostly I've been trying to share the mm -hmm. code so that other people could be using it. Um, I suppose one of the things I'd love to see, um, kind of a dream come true for me would be to see someone utilize the code to maybe become a Navajo language teacher. Um, you know, maybe there's someone out there that um, losing their vision, but they speak Navajo. Um, maybe they are a teacher already, and they're wondering how they can continue with their career. Um, but this would be a way they could do that if they so chose. So I think that would be a wonderful thing to see. Carol, I want to congratulate you on, on this undertaking. It's, it really is an impressive achievement. And we're going to talk more with Carol and some other folks from the Navajo Nation about this Braille Code. Before we do, we have a guest joining us from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Christine Muse. She's a contract Braille transcriber and a tactile illustrator. Christine, welcome to Native America Calling. Hello, thanks for having me. Christine, you're involved in a project to convert Mi'kmaq, which is Nova Scotia's first language, into Braille. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I started uh, last year. Uh, we, I, I had done some previous transcription work for a blind Mi'kmaq student we had here. Uh, and as Carol mentioned, when you hit the accented letters, it, it does tend to get quite cumbersome. Um, I don't imagine that was an enjoyable read for the student. Uh, so I started looking into how I could do better Braille for him, looking at what other languages were doing, and I found that there really weren't any. Um, I did come across Carol's code, uh, so I got in touch with her and uh, decided there should be a Mi'kmaq one. I had the skills to be able to do it, so I just took that on. And what kind of challenges did you encounter when you transcribed Mi'kmaq? Uh, similar to what she said, you, you had several Braille cells come before uh, Mi'kmaq. Luckily, I got in touch with the uh, creator of the Mi'kmaq print orthography, uh, Bernie Francis. And luckily, he kept our code uh or his language quite simple compared to Navajo. Carol had a much harder job than I did. Uh, I really only had, we have a, a barred eye, 
Uh, it's like a lowercase I with a cross. And uh, there was there was no that that symbol doesn't appear in any other code like the Spanish ones. Uh, so I also got in touch with Robert uh, Engelbretson as well. And between him, Bernie, and myself, we figured out uh, the best symbol for that to be to streamline uh, the language for him. And about how long did this process take? It took about a year, uh, mostly just trying, at the beginning, uh, trying to contact the right people trying to find out who to contact, trying to explain to people what the problem was. Uh, Once I explained to them, you know, what I was doing, people seemed to really understand the need for it. But I think the hardest part was finding the right people to contact and getting them to respond. And are, are people using it? What kind of feedback are you getting? Uh, currently, we just have the one student here um, that's using it, and where we're in the summer months right now, um, I, I have, uh, there was a series of Robert Munch children's books that were translated into Mi'kmaq, so I've already started transcribing a lot of those into Braille. Uh, so when the student starts in September, I've also requested that that student tell me what he would like to have. And I would uh, do that as well. Uh, I have also offered to do some accessible signage for some new buildings, the Mi'kmaq Friendship Center. Um, They're going to need some accessible signage for that. Uh, So, yeah. So is it pretty much all hearing impaired people that these efforts are targeted to? Are there other folks that are interested in learning uh, Mi'kmaq and Braille that aren't hearing, or excuse me, visually impaired, visually impaired? Um, I should hope so. Pardon me. I know that um, this this student has a separate teacher. Um, he has his in-class regular teacher, but he also has a special itinerant teacher that deals with visually impaired students. So, She'll be learning this as well. And as Carol said, I just, if even one student needs it, it should be available. Braille should be available to everyone. I have been approached uh, about possibly working on um, a a language in British Columbia as well. Uh, So I'm interested to find out more about that too. Christine, how long have you been a contract Braille transcriber? Uh, I've been doing Braille for 15 years now. And you're also a tactile illustrator. What exactly is is a tactile illustrator? Uh, Well, I I, I specialize in math and science textbooks, and those usually have a lot of graphics, maps, and charts. Uh, So I um, I do the graphics as tactile illustrations, and then I transcribe the text into Braille. So that, that just adds a whole new element then to to how people, uh, visually impaired learners can read. And one thing I'm also interested in, in learning more about, Christine, is I think a lot of times we think of, of Braille as a way to read, but it's also a way to write. Is that part of the, the this project as well, is enabling folks to actually write using Braille in Mi'kmaq? Absolutely. That the student that I do work for, Mi'kmaq, is actually his first language, uh, and English is his second language. So it's very 
you know, it, it would be important to him to have this symbol at his disposal. Yeah, it really, really would. We're speaking with Christine. She's up in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and she's working on a project uh, to translate or transcribe the Mi'kmaq language into Braille. And it was recently officially declared Nova Scotia's first language. Folks, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. What do you know about Braille? Have you ever looked, picked up a Braille book and, and tried to read it? I know I have one here at my house, and I've, I've looked at it several times and closed my eyes and, and, and ran my fingers across the page and, and seems just like so, so challenging to be able to, to read like that. But folks can do it seamlessly, which is just one of these amazing things about human beings and our ability to adapt. Let's learn a little bit more about Braille and specifically the Navajo Braille code that Carol Green helped develop. Joining us now from Gallup, New Mexico is Bryant Besenti. He is a student at the University of New Mexico studying early childhood development. He is Dene. Bryant, welcome to the show. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely, Bryant. And you've now been using Carol's Navajo Braille Code for over a year. How's it working out for you? Uh, it's it's really good. I mean, um, for for me being visually impaired and uh, also being a new uh, UNM student, um, uh, it's it opened a whole new a whole new process of learning Braille and at the same time learning uh, my native language of Navajo. Now, how did you first learn about the Navajo Braille Code? Um, the first time that I learned about it, um, I was down in uh, here in New Mexico, down south at Alamogordo, New Mexico. I was attending a uh, orientation center for the blind uh, training center, like an orientation center. And um, my Braille teacher, um, fortunately, gave me um, a, like, like a little pamphlet, like a note, and it says, this is Navajo Braille. And she tried to read it, but she couldn't read it. And <laughs> Um, you know, just different dot combinations, and she couldn't figure it out. And um, uh, unfortunately, we both sat there, and um, she tried to give me the letters and everything, and I just kind of pronounced it out when I was because I speak Navajo. So uh, that that's the first time that I was introduced to it. It was after that, it it just kind of I want to learn more about it. So you just just learned on the fly. You had that teacher and, and between the two of you, you were able to, to translate in Navajo and, and that's just, oh, wow. It just is, is amazing to learn. So Bryant, you know, a big part of this project and, and these efforts are to increase cultural awareness and, and other aspects of, of the Navajo culture and language. And is the Braille code enabling you to do that? Do you feel more, you're able to connect on a, on a new level w with your heritage? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so, because um, um, I've seen it written uh, before when I used to have vision, um, but gradually when I lost my vision, um, it, uh, I kind of forgot what it looks like. Um, but uh, when I had to take a Navajo class um, here at the, at the university, um, it was really hard for me to try to figure out what um, verbally I can I can get it I understand it um, I can speak it but writing it and you know reading it it's, it's totally different and I couldn't read the textbook and there was nobody to you know translate that into me for like in braille or anything until I remembered oh yeah I, there there is a code for it and that's when I got in touch with uh, Carol Green and she sent me some documents and uh, 
um, some other files that I could uh, download to my to my Braille display. And from there, I just kind of just put it together. And uh, with a little bit of help from my family, I was able to kind of write it out and type it out as I went along writing my papers and, and stuff. Brian, how old were you when you began having vision problems? Um, I've, I've always been. Um, uh, the condition that I have is called RP, retinitis pigmentosa. Um, I remember having it since I was about five, but um, when I when it really started affecting me was in my early 30s. So um, it's been about six years now since I lost my vision. I think so often we think of visual ailments as being something that would be more prone to elderly people, but here you are middle-aged and, and you have these challenges. So do you know about how many visually impaired people there are among the Navajo that that can benefit from from projects like this, the Navajo Braille Code. Um, I, I I think they could. Um, right now, as far as I know, <laughs> here at the university, there is only two um, two two blind students, me and another uh, uh, lady. Um, unfortunately, I I haven't gotten a chance to meet her yet. But um, I think that a lot of them would benefit from it. I think it's just trying to have them come out and experience it. Um, I know a lot of them, they tend not to deal with the public and, um, you know, it's um, uh, dealing with the questions and, you know, trying to navigate, trying to, you know, accomplish everyday life. Yeah, if they have to change their way of living, how would they get around? Because living in Gallup and or living on the reservation is very difficult sometimes. There's no transportations, um, bus routes, you know, it's really hard to get from point A to point B sometimes. And uh, I think that's a lot of them are afraid of is trying to get out there and do things for themselves. Man, it's, it's pretty difficult. Brian, what's the process for learning, learning Braille, any type of Braille, American Braille or, or Navajo Braille? What's like, I mentioned earlier, like for somebody that's, that's, that doesn't understand Braille, it just seems like so foreign to be able to just feel those little dots on the page like that. And how do you develop that ability to just be able to, to, to touch a page like that and just know what it says? What, what's, what is that process like? Um, for me, for me, it was very difficult. Um, you know, just like other teenagers, kids growing up, um, you know, the fantasies of being a rock star, you know, I play a lot of guitar and, and it develops a lot of, calluses on your fingertips and so when I went to the orientation center in in Elamogardo, um it was really hard for me to learn braille I'm I am not a fast braille reader um, it takes me a little bit of time to to read certain things and and type uh, like write it out but I think it, it's um, it's a lot of memorization a lot of feeling sensitivity um, being able to basically memorize and fill, uh, fill the dots there are, especially the combinations that are there. It's, it's pretty, uh, for me, it was kind of difficult because when you read it from left to right, um, it's pretty standard, but when you write it, you, you basically write from right to your left, basically backwards. Oh, you do. So it's reverse. Yeah. Braille. And I, it's like you're, you're, you're a guitar player and, and like any guitar player, you develop these thick, heavy calluses when you fret those notes. And here, um, unfortunately, that must be somewhat of, makes it just that much harder to learn Braille because of all that guitar playing, huh? 
Oh yes, yeah. Because uh, <clears throat> when you when you run your fingers along the the, the pages, it's uh, um, it, it it could get confusing to other people, um, especially like when I go into a restaurant. Um, um, for somebody that doesn't read Braille, it could just you know, it could be just a bunch of dots on the paper, and it looks very confusing. You don't know where to start from, or where it begins or ends. <laughs> A uh, bunch of different indicators, different dot combinations, um, especially when it's uh, when it's everything's in um, like short form uh, braille. Like uh, I can't think of the word right now. When it's a uh, contracted braille, there you go. Um, everything's braille. like short. Yeah, when everything's like short form, you know, like A B would be about, or it could be simple letters like C can be the letter. I mean, it could be the word can. Um, so it's it's a lot of memorizations and uh, different dot dot combinations that are put together, but um, okay. I can see it's very difficult for certain people. We're speaking now with Bryant Vicente. He's a student at the University of New Mexico, and he's a Braille reader, Navajo Braille reader to be specific. Give us a call one eight hundred nine nine six two eight four. If you have a question, I'm Sean Spruce, your host, and we'll be right back. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, StrongHeart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by StrongHeart's Native Helpline. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There's still time to join our conversation about Native Braille Code, so please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. And we've got a caller on the line right now, ready to go. Joseph Ray on the road in Arizona, listening online. Joseph, thanks for calling in. Good morning, Sean. Thank you. Um, yes, um, Great show. Um, I'm a uh, person with a disability, um, not a visual impairment, but I um, I advocate on behalf of um, all people with disabilities on a national level with National Congress of American Indians. And I just wanted to compliment the, um, your guests this morning and Miss uh, and Carol um, about you know her um, development of the uh, curriculum and and. Um, 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 projects, I guess you could say, supporting her, um, herself, and then her community. Um, I wanted to mention Mr. Hosky Benali um, with the Navajo Nation Disability Advisory Council. He's working with the nation to develop a code of, in, of full inclusion of um, all people with um, disabilities. So, uh, um, hearing. Um, your guest today, it just again, it reinforces the fact that there is such a great need, um, especially in all tribal communities, not only the Navajo Nation, but in my community at the Pueblo of Laguna, we have persons that need those services. And um, maybe over time, um, um, certain portions of the uh, terrorist language can be, be developed to help um, people with visual impairments. But that was my comment, Sean, that um, there's other people um, out there uh, advocating on behalf of people with disabilities in the Navajo Nation, specifically Mr. Hosky Benali at the um, uh, American Indian Disability Law Center out of um, Farmington. Um, what I also was going to say is that there's an estimated 40,000 um, 
persons of Navajo descent with disability. So I would say there's a percentage of those with visual impairment. So anyhow, that's what I want to say today, Sean. Thank you for your show. Joseph, thank you for calling in and giving that information. So approximately 40,000 Navajo Nation citizens living with some sort of a disability. So obviously, yeah, there would be a pretty large number of folks that would really or can and are really benefiting from this Navajo Braille code. And and you mentioned the Laguna language, Karis, and, and um, other tribes being able to, to do similar projects. Uh, we're speaking with Christine up in Nova Scotia, and she's working on a Mi'kmaq project. So yeah, the sky seems to be really the limit with these applications of Braille into native languages. And I want to go back now to Bryant Vicente. He's a University of New Mexico student studying early childhood development. And Bryant, um, and we've talked about children's books and stories being transcribed into Braille, playing cards. What are some other possible applications of the Navajo Braille code that you see? Um. <clears throat> I think um, I think it could be anything. I mean, you can pretty much, um, especially if you're teaching uh, a Navajo class, especially at a lower level of kindergarten through fifth grade at, uh, at that, or even just mid school or high school. Um, I think it would be really good if um, if, if they could introduce um, the Navajo Braille uh, to these teachers. Um, I think that would really benefit a lot of the kids where. Um, they think a lot of people with visual impairment can't do a lot of stuff, but you, you give them the tools and um, and they'll be able to do what they want. I mean, anything is possible. Let's speak now with another Navajo student that is familiar with the Braille Code. Joining us from Tuba City, Arizona is Heather Joe. She's a student at NAU, Northern Arizona University, studying radio broadcasting, of all things. Let's give a shout out to that. Heather is Danae. Heather, welcome to Native America Calling. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you, Heather. Now, you've also been using Navajo Braille for uh, about a year. What do you like most about it? I say it's about like more than a year, maybe a year and a half. Oh, okay. And I, I really like it because it really helped me last spring in my Navajo class. At that time, I was attending CCC, Coconino Community College. So um, there was a lot of um, Navajo writing. And then um, we had to do like um, essays and our final project was like to talk about us, like a little story in Navajo. So it, it really helped to have that there. Now, Heather, you also... You're, you're very proficient in American or English Braille. Which do you prefer, English or Navajo Braille? I say both now that I, I know the Navajo Braille. Which did you because, think was hard? I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, let's see. I say they were pretty the same to me. I think it's because um, I grew up with people speaking Navajo. I've had Navajo classes in the past. Like when I was in elementary, junior high, high school, and then even after high school and college. And then um, I became blind back in 2005, December of 2005. And I thought there was nothing out there. Like I didn't know about technology. I didn't know about the Braille. Maybe just a little bit Braille. 
and then everything I didn't have a cane I didn't I just felt lost and then throughout the years even though I didn't have the tools I needed I went back to school like um two weeks after I lost my vision so school kind of kept me afloat and it kept my mind occupied and it kept me motivated so yeah Heather how old were you this December 2005 so that was about 17 years ago how old were you when you started losing your vision um I was 19 when I first um it it seemed like I lost my vision fast it wasn't like a slow loss it was like I guess overnight or maybe a couple of weeks, two weeks. Two weeks, that quickly, and it, it never yeah. came back. Yeah, and I did. I do have the same thing as what um, Brian is saying, RP, retinitis pigmentosa. And there's no known cure for that? Um, Right now, I, <clears throat> excuse me, right now I know they're doing a study on it, like, um, I have uh, an aunt that's in the medical field, and I I have friends that are eye doctors, and they say that they're doing a lot of study with that. Like, they have a stem cell study, and then they have, like, a retinal transplant, and then they have, um, I guess, proteins, like the cells in your eye. So they're doing a lot of study on that. Mm. That's what I know right now. Heather, earlier Bryant talked about reading menus and signs and things like that and Braille. and But overall, as a person such as yourself, such as Bryant, such as Carol, living in the world as, as somebody who is visually impaired, how much of, of what just people like myself that, that aren't visually impaired that we probably take for granted, all the books, all the information that we see um, everywhere, like how much of that is really available in braille form for folks that are visually impaired to read? Are, are there, there's, it seems like there's probably a lot of things that just aren't available. Um, I guess like reading the signs of like certain um, public places, like even buildings, when you want to know what building it is, you can't really like have any, maybe they might have a guide on that, but it's just really difficult to like put braille maybe they need to put braille where the sign is maybe people will benefit from that and then also like in restaurants most restaurants they don't have that braille menu the only place that i know is benny's that's the only restaurant that i know and then um i know a lot of places in um colorado littleton colorado they have like certain stuff for that because I've been to the Colorado Center for the Blind and I experienced a lot of um, stuff there. Now, one thing, I mean, there's a lot of folks that um, really enjoy books on tape, even people that don't, um, that, that aren't visually impaired. But I think a lot of people mm -hmm. are just reading less nowadays. So is that is that an option for you to be able to listen to to podcasts and books on tape and audio tapes and things like that? Um, I tried both. Like um, when I was sighted, I used to read a lot of books. And then when I like lost my vision, it it just became like a, a alternative. 
and even with the audio book, it's sometimes difficult to focus on the story or focus on what it's all about. I oh, guess it it's just more of the interest, yeah, if you're interested in it or if you're not. Well, if you had an option between reading a, a book in Braille or listening to an audio version of the book, which would you prefer? I um, I haven't really tried the Braille one, but I have to say the audio. The audio, okay. Now, Heather, you speak Navajo fluently, and I'm, I'm thinking about somebody that, that doesn't speak Navajo fluently, and they want to learn the Navajo Braille code. Is that... What kind of advice would you offer that person that doesn't have that strong background in the Navajo language to begin with? I would tell them that they should take a class either, um, well, if they're out of high school, then it'll be like a college class, like a basic college Navajo class. And just like having friends that are Navajo to know the language. And then I guess the reason why I say the class is because my mom's a Navajo teacher, and she's constantly, like, talking even to people she meets that they should learn Navajo. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back to Carol now. Carol, classes and resources, where can folks learn more about the Navajo Braille Code, and are there a lot of classes available for people that want to learn it? So, um... <clears throat> The Navajo Braille Code is actually on Wikipedia. So if you go to Wikipedia and you type in Navajo Braille, um, the basic Braille code is there. Um, if you are needing assistance on transcribing Navajo Braille, you can contact me. Um, I have a handbook on transcribing it. Um, I've attended a lot of different conferences and workshops sharing the Braille Code. Um, the Getting in Touch with Literacy conference I mentioned, um, I went back to that conference in 2017 when it was in New Orleans and I presented the Navajo Braille Code there. Um, I've also presented it um, at national conferences or regional conferences related to vocational rehabilitation for adults, and that's how I was able um, to meet Heather. Um, so. Um, so as far as the way I the way I perceive um, the whole process is, um, you know, the student actually has to be the advocate. So, like in Heather and um, Bryant's case, you know, I encourage them to contact their um, student services department at their respective colleges and find the person that transcribes the Braille and show them the code. Um, I usually share it as a PDF file, but I can also share um, Braille-ready format um, and Duxbury files as well. Um, and so when I was taking the class, <clears throat> I took a, I've took a Navajo language a lot <laughs> for the past um, 30-some years, um, but I decided to take it again at San Juan College to try out the code. And um, so that's what I did, is I met with the student services department um, people, and I basically taught their Braille transcriber how to do six-key six entry on a computer um, with a free um, software that she downloaded from Duxbury. 
and I presented the code with her and we went through it and so she was able to um, take the handouts from the class and transcribe them for me and then I just downloaded them and like Bryant said um, I put them on my braille note taker and those were the exact same files I shared with him so um, so really, um, as blind people, um, we do have to advocate. You know, um, <laughs> you know, it's so funny sometimes how people get confused. Like you did a little while ago. Um, you know, I went to go watch a movie. I went to go see Top Gun, and I told the usher, like, "Well, I'd like to have an audio description." And he goes back, and I had my white cane in my hand too. And he went back, and he came back with this little screen. And my husband's like, well, what is she supposed to do with that? And he goes, well, she's supposed to look at it, and it'll tell her what they're saying in the, in the movie. And oh, I geez. lifted up my cane, and I shook it, and I said, I can't see the movie. I, I, I won't be able to read that. I just want to know, like, I need the audio description. Oh, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so sometimes people, like, I've had people say, you know, like, well, so how do you, do you know sign language? And I'm like, um... Well, you know, you kind of have to see sign language. You know, I'm blind. I can't see. You know, I mean, I guess because of Helen Keller, like, it's kind of amalgamated into people's minds. Like, the two things are synonymous somehow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so as a blind individual, um, and I'm sure Bryant and um, Heather can attest to this, um, you have to advocate for yourself. You have to go out there. You can't. Um, you have to be um, outspoken. You have to go out there and say, you know, I need this. Please provide this to me. Um, and sometimes you have to know a little more about it than they do in my situation. But the people there at San Juan College were wonderful. Um, Dina Tingley um, was the person that transcribed all the Braille for me, and um, she did an awesome job. And, and they were very flexible and receptive. So if you approach things in the right way, um, you know, you can find ways to get around all of those obstacles. There's lots of different um, organizations and materials available, too. Um, there's a website called bookshare.com. Um, it's actually international now. Um, okay. and Carol, I'm sorry. We're going to have to wrap up. That. We're going to have to wrap up the show, but we can go ahead and share some of those resources on our Native America Calling website. And I do apologize uh, for, <laughs> yeah, definitely sometimes we get confused and we're not completely sensitive or understanding of some of these issues that folks that are visually impaired face. So I want to thank our guests today for a great conversation and their expertise about Braille and visually impaired native language learners. Join us again tomorrow on Native America Calling as we break down what the new Inflation Reduction Act means for tribes. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian, presenting Ancestors Know Who We Are, a new online exhibition that features works by six contemporary black indigenous women artists. Joelle Joyner, Paige Pettibon, Moira Pernambuco, Monica Rickert-Bolter, Stormy Weber, and Rodslin Brown, addressing race, gender, multiracial identity, and intergenerational knowledge. More at AmericanIndian.si.edu program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, 
protecting tribal sovereignty and keeping dollars in Indian country are Ameren's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Ameren.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.